Okay, Inappropriate Earl is back. We took a couple weeks off for the holidays. Plus, uh, I couldn't get anyone to come over to my house. You know how I operate. But today, if you're going to come back for Sweeps Week, this is the guest to have because he's one of my favorite people in uh, L.A. comedy, which, as you know, I don't have a lot of favorite people. It's a bunch of jackals and vipers in this business. This guy's been one of the good ones from day one of knowing him. He's proof that you can be a nice person and be successful. Put your hands together for Mr. Jake Wiseman. Hi. Hi. I assume the camera's pointed right at me. Oh, absolutely. Okay, great. This hey, is not the Rogan uh, podcast. <laughs> this is very... Uh, I'm a one-man unit. Uh... I may get up at various points to make sure the sound is still on That's because great. I don't have a red band. And you're looking around at my uh, decor. That is berry jelly. I'm mostly noticing the hockey stuff. Well, I have to have one hobby to uh, uh, divulge myself of the negativity from stand-up comedy. I'm an enormous hockey fan. Oh, wow. I don't think we ever talked about this. That's kind of why I'm like, oh, maybe we should talk about this. No, we're going to talk about corporate. Sure, sure, sure. On Comedy Central. Many of you know I've had a love-hate relationship with Comedy Central, but... As does everyone in comedy. <laughs> but they gave me everything with through Roast Battle, so uh, I have love toward Comedy Central. Uh, but part of the reason why I love doing this podcast is like someone like you I've known for 10 years, maybe. But I think so, yeah. You know, we not on a lot of the same shows for whatever reason. Uh, different circuits, I guess. Uh, so I know you, but I don't know you. Yeah, that's why it's it's fun to get to know someone while other people are watching. <laughs> and I like I would have never assumed you were a hockey fan. I know. I think most people um when people most people think i'm a pot dealer and someone who played with barbies as a kid and so it's like it's weird i don't know i feel like the perception i feel like most people have to deal with that where it's like inside my brain i'm a totally different person than how people are perceiving me and i feel right. like that's most of my life i feel like it's most of everyone's life is like people are like no you're like that i'm like no i'm not like that i'm like a totally weird person but yeah i just grew up playing sports um like, cause I could run so fast when I was a kid, I had nothing, I just could, you know? Right. And so that's, and then, so my parents put me into sports at like four or five. I'm from New York and I would just play every sport ever. And I was kind of like a weird, sensitive little bitch, but, but I could play sports. So they were like, okay, you're cool. And then I, and then because the Rangers won the cup in 1994, I was 11 years old. And so that's so formative that moment when they won. I mean, that just like is everything when they won the cup and breaking the 54, you know, year drought and everything that was just everything to me. So hockey always became, well, hockey is just a whole different thing, but like, like sports were just everything. And my dad loved that. I played them. And it's like how we talk. If he's like, I'm, I'm mad at the giants. He's mad at me. You know what right. I mean? Like that's how, you know, older men kind of relate to their kids a lot of the time. Um, but hockey is just, to me, what I like about it is it's the best sport by far, but nobody really knows about it. To me, it's the most tactile, like you go to a game and it's like, there's sound, there's 
like almost taste. <laughs> There's like you're cold, like, uh, and it's so fast, and you it kind of isn't represented well on TV because the puck is hard to see on TV, yeah. and and the players' faces are often covered up and moving so fast. But to me, it's by far the best game. And whenever whenever someone talks to me about hockey, it's kind of how I feel when I'm in a random place and I find out there's a Jew there. I'm like, oh, cool. We can talk. We relate. I mean, I just, uh, I tell people hockey's like Kiss. Like, Kiss is probably not the best band musically. Uh, but you see them live and you're like, wow, this is the greatest band of all time. Mm -hmm. you know, the, Maybe I need to see them live then. Well, not anymore. It's not anymore. Not, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm the biggest Kiss fan on earth, uh, but it's it's tough i understand i mean they're in their 60s gene and paul i yeah. don't expect them to sound you know like they did when they're 30 or look but they're still wearing the same outfits yeah, and it's yeah. just we all age and we all you know. age we have to know we have to know when our time is up i feel like that's so hard for so many people for athletes for musicians for comedians it's like at some point the magic is gone well i just uh you know with kiss it's uh you know, Paul can't really sing too well anymore. Uh, Gene's a little, little bigger. And, you know, it's just kind of like a, it's sad because I, I want to remember Kiss. Like when I see Ray Liotta in that Chantix commercial. Oh, God. Like, once again, I know we all age. But it's like, what happened to you, dude? It's also just when I see Ray Liotta and all those commercials now, I'm like, how many kids do you have that we don't know about? Like, because why are you doing this? Yeah, I mean, something's wrong. You can't need money. You're in Goodfellas. Those residuals alone must be pretty good. And that's the Ray Liotta I want to remember, like the good looking, just yeah. like, I mean, that's a good looking dude. Now it's just like you're doing voiceover gigs. Well, yeah. And now it's like you really need all the medicine you're advertising. Like it's yeah. like he's doing it just to get free medicine, it seems like. But I'm trying to get people to go to a hockey game live. It's it it's everything. It it's it absolutely converts people. I've seen it convert people. Like because people are like, oh right, hockey, that sport that a lot of people seem to like in Canada. But then you go and you're just like, I got, I have to go back. Like I, I remember making my mother go when I was young, and then she just got obsessed with the fighting. And Don't so if too. there wasn't a fight, she didn't like it. That's all she wanted to see was men beat the shit out of each other on, on, on like skates, you know? It's a great game. It's for everyone. Well, I, I mean, it's funny, you know, in L.A. in the 80s, the Kings weren't on TV a lot, mm -hmm. you know, even though they were very good. Mm -hmm. uh, they just, unfortunately for them, they had the misfortune of being around with the Showtime Lakers where it's just... No oh, one, I mean, yeah. No one wanted to watch Marcel Dion. Uh, so I actually got into hockey through watching the Rangers on WOR. Oh, really? Because for whatever reason, we got WOR out here. Uh, New York just dominates everything. Yeah. And it, well, they had this player by the name of Barry Beck, mm -hmm. who was, uh, he had this Jew fro, I guess you would call it. He was just bigger than everyone. He was the best player uh, on the Rangers. No one would fight him. And I just became obsessed with him because he just stood out. And, uh, and fighting, of course, is what... Oh, yeah. Because in the 80s, it was like, I, I sound so old, but like back then it was just like crazy. Like, yeah, it's, it's also, it's unfortunate now that there's all these like documentaries and books about like how the enforcers are getting the same kind of brain damage that every football player gets. It makes me feel it's like, tough. it's like, oh man, I understand ethically I'm on weird ground here by saying that we need to keep fighting in the NHL until as long as it goes, but it's just the best. Well, they had that, uh, 
documentary on Derek Bugard, yeah. who uh, the boogeyman, yeah. who uh, they showed a, uh, a scan of his brain. And I guess like you and I probably have like four or five dark spots on our brain right now. He had like 20. Uh, so it's just, and he was, you know, he's a small town Canadian boy. Yeah. And last year he's with the Rangers. He's just roaming around Manhattan. He, he had no, he was just like Tom Hanks and big. Like, yeah. <laughs> where am I? <laughs> and I mean, like, I, I feel the same uh, feeling you do. It was like, I love watching these guys fight. I know. It's the same thing with the UFC. Yeah, uh, I know. I mean, there was a bloody fight uh, two weeks ago. It was like, wow, I'm this is great. And then I'm like, Oh boy. Yeah. What are you supposed to do ethically? I don't know. I mean, it's these people choose to do it, but then it's sort of like, is it their only way they can make money? And would I still like it if it weren't? Yeah. It's like UFC be, being so popular, being the fastest or like the biggest growth in sports in, in the last 10 years, it seems like, um, seems like, Oh, I guess people like to watch violence. You know, um, I guess that's what that tells us. I mean, it really hit home to me when the first celebrity I had on this podcast, and I don't get a lot of big ones, to be frank. Uh, I get told no by most people, uh, but was Don Fry, and Don fought in the first UFC, hmm. like the very first one. Now, they're, I think they're at UFC 233, uh, and that's not even counting the like the Fox cards that don't count. So they've probably done 400 main UFC cards. He was in the first three, I think, and... When he got up after the podcast, he could barely get up. Yeah. Like, uh, and it was like, wow. I used to go to the, uh, my dad had, had a small business and he used to advertise in the Post and the Daily News in New York. And so sometimes they would give him tickets to the Golden Gloves. Right. So I'd go see it in like the adjacent Madison Square Garden um, thing. And it was like unbelievable. It was, it was the best experience I've ever had and seeing the female boxers was they were even nastier than the men it was just awesome but then i remember one time i saw jake lamotta <laughs> you know i saw jake lamotta he's dead now but i think but he's i saw him like probably like 10 years before he died just sort of roaming around and i was like oh like everyone's coming up and being like hey jake hey jake and it's like but he wasn't a man anymore right. like it's just like oh it wasn't worth it like it's like it's like so unbelievably devastating yeah a great movie uh, exists because of him and i'm sure he felt some joy but it just is sort of like what's what's happening here and i watched the um the documentary on the arturo gotti and uh, uh gotti and i forget the guy mickey whatever the guy, the guy mickey ward mickey ward yeah i watched that documentary about the gotti ward tri trilogy and it's like <laughs> Gaddy is he was either murdered or killed himself and Ward is just like dumb like it's just like it's just like oh fuck these are our heroes but I love it so what are you gonna do oh I mean I'm the same way because I grew up like late 70s early 80s which was probably the pinnacle of heavyweight boxing uh, you know you had a prime Frazier prime Ollie prime George Foreman and then even the second tier guys were like it just sucked for them to be in that era. Yeah. <laughs> they were like Ernie Shavers. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. But I was obsessed with this guy by the name of Tex Cobb, who ended up being a pretty good actor uh, after his boxing. And he was just a white guy who could take enormous punishment and laugh at you. Uh, he made Howard Cosell quit announcing boxing because he fought uh, Larry Holmes. And for 15 rounds, I don't think Tex Cobb threw a punch. 
He just wanted to see if he could survive. Oh, man. And he was laughing at Larry Holmes, just like, hit me again. And Howard Cosell was like, I can't take this anymore. But I saw him uh, a couple years after his prime kickboxing at this place in the Reseda called the Country Club. Uh It's like, wow. And he was just like gone. And this was before he really started acting. And I was like, dude, like. That it's is it worth it well it's, it's it's interesting it's like should life be like sort of fast and brilliant and over quickly or should it be slow and steady and not that exciting it's not that you have to make that choice but sometimes i wonder what is the best thing is especially since we're comedians and like you know we do something kind of transgressive and weird with our lives like is it amazing to kind of like just be this shooting star, like give everything, like kind of sacrificing your mental health and physical health, which I feel like sometimes comedians do. Oh, yeah. Um, not only with drugs, but just being up late and then getting insomnia and just the, the mental struggle definitely has a has an effect on your physical health. Um, is it worth it? Uh, is it, am I supposed to just want to live till 85 and like slowly deteriorate and just be alive for a long time or just live like fast and just have like 45 years? I mean, that's why I have to play hockey. I mean, if I, cause it is a depressing business we're in, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even if you're successful, like, you know, uh, like I'm sure, I mean, we're going to get into corporate, but like with roast battle, I thought, oh, this will be the time of my life. I'm I'm on TV for the first time ever. No, five nights and six days. Which you know, when you go thirteen years with zero TV time, I'm like, this, I should be orgasming. I know. But uh, it was also my first time experiencing politics and uh, that kind of maneuvering, which I never. When you go so long without success, you, you don't care. You don't think you'd care about the politics. It's inevitable. It's just in the structure of the business. Uh, so when is corporate coming out? Corporate uh, season two comes out January 15th, 10.30 p.m. Comedy Central. And you can watch season one for free right now on the Comedy Central app or at cc.com. Now, I want to know, because I'm fascinated to see a show go from day one to season two. Like, what was the beginnings of corporate? Because you're a very, very funny stand-up comic. Thank you. You know, you've... Your foot soldier, like, and I mean that as a compliment. Yeah, like you've been in the trenches. Well, that's the. I, I think that's how you have to do it. Uh, so just sort of to give a little bit of, I assume that you want the whole narrative. I'll try to make it fast. Oh no, don't make it fast. Okay, I because I, I love the. Uh, that's part of the the love I have of talking about roast battle is I was in the room from day one. Mm-hmm. So that part was very neat. Well, that's the joy of it is sort of looking back and being like, wow, look at what I did. That's crazy right. that that happened. Cause it's kind of like, I feel like coming to LA cause I'm from New York or even if you grow up in LA, it's sort of like, there's like a, an allegory or metaphor to the gold rush of the 1840s where it's like, you come here and you're like, I want to get my gold, <laughs> you know? Sure. Um, I have these, this bag full of jokes and I'd like to make some money out of it. And, um, basically I started doing stand up um, close to 10 years ago, <clears throat> nine and a half years ago. And I decided at first I started sort of in the coffee shop world. Cause I, I literally didn't know. I, I was so, I wasn't necessarily a huge comedy nerd growing up at all. I sort of like movies a lot and I like certain TV shows, but I kind of come more of it from a, came out here wanting to create. I just wanted to make movies and TV shows. I, 
I didn't think I necessarily could, but I was like, well, that's what I like. So I'll try to do it. I wasn't initially a huge comedy fan. I think a lot of like, I'm not a comedy nerd. I haven't watched the Simpsons really. Like, I don't know a lot about the history of comedy necessarily, or even the history of standup. I'm pretty like, I had to learn retroactively like, oh, Richard Pryor's the best. I honestly didn't know. Like I really didn't, which I think actually helped me in some ways after a while. But basically I had some friends who were doing standup, including Guy Branham. I was just friends with him. Unbelievable comedian. Obviously one of the best. Um, Had some other friends who stopped doing it, but were doing it. Just random people I knew through different friends out here. And so I started doing comedy because I wasn't writing enough. And I did it to just start writing scripts, basically. I didn't understand joke structure that well, um, but I started doing it because I was like pretty depressed. I started doing coffee shops. I didn't, I literally thought you had to be amazing to be at a club. I, I didn't, I, I didn't know. I, I had no clue. I thought of the comedy store laugh factory and the improv as these like huge beacons on these Hills. Like, Oh my God, if you're ever the best, com- if you're ever Ellen, <laughs> wow. you get to do a set there. I didn't understand it, you know? So I started doing these coffee shops, um, and did coffee shop bar circuit forever, like in terms of open mics. Um, and then I found out, I met some people, Eventually, after a year or two, I started doing a bunch of shows and met people more from the comedy store, from the improv. They're like, you should just come by to these mics, too. You can get seen there. You meet different people. And I think that was the best decision I ever made because I think one of the mistakes that a lot of comics make is they get too entrenched in one world and then they start to get sort of defend that territory. And to me, I always wanted to be good in the alternative rooms. So I don't love that term alternative rooms, but let's do it alternative rooms and I want to be good in the clubs as well because if you can do both then you're really funny you know and it's like I feel like I I'm at the comedy store and I'm also in the other rooms and I notice some some people are just fucking funny obviously actually there's a lot of people who are just really funny but there's something missing sometimes um and I see anger come out when like an alt person does a club or a club person does an alt room I see them get really mad oh you don't understand me it's like Sometimes audiences, it is their fault to some degree, but it's not about that. You have to know how to do both, you know? So I, I started just sort of jumping between those worlds, doing a ton of stand-up and in, in as many, trying to get club spots and trying to get um, alt spots all the time and doing all those open mics. In the meantime, I started making sketches with my friends, um, mostly with my friends, Dave Ross, Alan Strickland Williams and Pat Bishop, but with other people as well. And because to me, the goal is to use comedy. I, I was like, I love stand up, but I never thought that I could be a touring stand up. It just wasn't in my head at that point. It seems still impossible to be that good. It just seemed like an impossibility. So I, I was like, well, if I can do stand up, I will then eventually be able to get a chance to write. Right. So I started making sketches and just basically every weekend making sketches and five to seven nights a week doing multiple spots for years. Um, And then eventually I went to Montreal uh, for the new faces thing, which is stupid, but it gives you sort of that pat on the back being like, you're doing something right. They're they're saying that you're good enough to not be terrible. You know what I mean? It it helps. It helps. I think mostly emotionally. Some people go to Montreal and then they get in the daily show. That's the exception. The main people just go back. They paid to go to Montreal. They're in debt and they're like, what do I even fucking do now? But to me, what it gave me was the confidence to kind of be like, you're good and you should try to do this stuff right so that i've been making a ton of sketches and just still doing tons of stand-up and i had the thought like what do i really want to do it's like well i really want to make a tv show and even though i don't know how to do that it it seems pretty obvious now that 
people that are not as good at stand-up as me have gone on to great success at TV. And that's, I think, the way to be inspired. And I want I, this is the message I want to give to everyone. Don't be inspired by the geniuses. Be inspired by the people who aren't that good that made it. Because oh, to yeah. me, that's that's everything. It's like if someone not as good as you is killing it, don't be mad at them. They're doing something unbelievably right. They're making the most out of their buffalo, <laughs> their shit buffalo. And that's how I've always looked at it. It's like if people way less funny than you, way less smart than you, and you you've over, you, you you go through it all the time. You know, you see at the store people who aren't even that good, but they're killing it. It's like, oh, but that's good. I'm inspired. That's my hero. You oh, know what I, I mean? agree. Yeah. So I, I kind of looked at it that way. I was like, well, if there's so many bad TV shows, 95% of comedies aren't funny at all. Why can't I do that? Why can't I, why can't I be one of the 95%? Maybe I could be one of the 5%. But I'm just trying to have a career here. So I could be one of the 95% if I just try to learn it. It's like learning a new language. So I started pitching shows um, partially with my sketch group. uh, But then also not only one of the guys from my sketch group, Pat Bishop, who I make corporate with. I was living with Matt Ingebretson, who's the other guy in corporate. We're the two main people in, in corporate. He was my roommate. So we started making some sketches together, too. He was doing the same thing. He was doing stand up. He was making sketches. We're all doing that and starting to get better. People liked us, you know, like in, in the club world. They, they liked us if they saw us in the alt world. We're getting in any show we want to and, you know, doing those rounds, making sketches. People watch them. We got managers. It didn't, you know, we're not getting paid for it. We get a little writing gig here and there. We came up with this idea for corporate, um, which is basically a sketch show set at a corporation. Uh, that's how it was conceived was essentially Portlandia at a corporation. But I have a very dark sensibility, as do you. And that's, I, and so it was kind of like, a psychotic show where we wanted basically one of the sketches that we had in mind, which we haven't done and won't do now because of the never ending gun violence in the world was this is basically the conception of the show was a, a, a guy is putting together like his rifle at his desk. Cause he's so angry at the world. Like this little squirrely guy's like, fuck this corporation. Fuck everyone. I'm gonna kill everyone here. He's putting together this rifle. And as he picks it up, uh, and is about to shoot a bunch of people in the office. Another shooter comes in, um, another disgruntled, and they see each other and they're like, "Oh, well, I'm if I'm not special, then it doesn't matter." And then they both right. go home. So, like, it was basically supposed to be like a psychotic show at a corporation because the sketches I was making with the sketch group women were crazy and had a lot of murder and had a lot of fucked up shit. And that was what I wanted to bring to TV. I thought this was my angle, like really dark jokes, essentially like really dark jokes with a lot of structure. Cause that's how I see the world. Um, and so we pitched that show and <laughs> you know, comedy central knew about us from new faces and they, they'd been tracking us and we're good at stand up and whatever. And they'd seen our videos and they're like, we don't want a sketch show. Sketch shows don't work anymore really, but we'll, if you want, we'll buy a narrative script from you guys. Uh, if you guys will act in it, which we had not even tried to do, we just thought of ourselves as writers and make it a narrative, we'll buy it. And they give you very little money, <laughs> very little. I mean, after lawyer agent fees and everything, you get like 4,000 bucks each, you know, to like uh, 5,000 bucks. It's, it's insane. And we split between three people. So that was it. Uh, that, that was the main thing where it's like we, we worked for seven six seven years pounding the pavement i mean just doing a million open mics like sometimes doing like you know 20 spots a week oh sure like you know how it is and just doing so many jokes in to nobody i mean i was paying to to yell at nobody in the meantime making sketches just hoping i would get a deal to get a chance to show that i could write and i got the chance 
And meanwhile, I'd pitched other shows and failed at it. You know what I mean? That's the other thing you don't see. If anyone is listening and wanted to know, like I pitched, I've pitched like seven shows. You know what I mean? I've sold two things and then one of them went, which is the magic thing. But I've tried for years to make things. So then how do you we, get through the rejection? Like I get through the rejection by having multiple projects all the time, because to me, it's like if you're putting all your eggs in one basket, that might work out for you. And maybe that's your path. But to me, I, I feel like in order to really make it as a as a as a comedian or, or however you see comedian like to me making a tv show is being a comedian it's another thing it's also being a filmmaker but to me i'm like i'm a comedian i'm putting my comedic thoughts on air um i just have so many ideas going at once it's like stand up then sketches then movie ideas then a bunch of different tv show ideas and just podcasts i've done i've had two podcasts i've had a hundred sketches i've done stand-up five million times like i have movies that i'm trying to make tv show ideas i have keep just constantly working and hoping that something goes it's spinning plates at least that's how i see it um and so if something's rejected i already have several other things i'm working on and i just i feel like i am such a clinically depressed person that if i don't have stuff to focus on and i don't and i don't have work to focus on I'm going to want to kill myself. Like, I just like think about like, okay, well then kill yourself. Like to me, I don't want kids. I don't want anything except kind of to be creative. I want to have fun and be creative. Like that's my goal in life as of now. Um, That if I don't have a constant things, if I don't have constant things to consider, then I won't, then I won't be happy. Like if, if I put all my eggs in one basket, I would die. If that makes sense. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, it does. Yeah. I mean, I've probably in the, I've done comedy so long. I don't even know how long I've been doing it. Like mm-hmm. I, I literally have forgotten when I started and yeah. I've probably known 10 comics who've killed themselves. Exactly. And, and we're really fucked up people. And to me, it's about like, it's why people exercise. They don't exercise to look good. They exercise so they won't kill themselves. You know what I mean? So you can get that like serotonin. Oh, that's what I do. Yeah. And so to me, that's what creativity is and work is. And like one of the reasons people are workaholics and I feel like I'm essentially one is because it keeps the demons at bay. So rejection is to me, I kind of almost expect to be rejected, but it's like, but I got another thing. It's like being a fighter. It's like, I'm not going to be knocked out. I just want to keep going and get something going. Because to me, if I'm working and creating, I'm not thinking about how I'm a fucking loser and a fat piece of shit. You know what I mean? Like, that's just how it goes. So we got this deal and we started writing. And I also was coming out of a spine surgery at that point. I had spinal fusion surgery. Um, which was just out of nowhere. I had a herniated disc and it was a nightmare and I couldn't sleep for many months. So while we were writing, while the deal was figured out, I was getting surgery and recovering. And we started writing while I was back on the couch, just like on opioids. They were at the table and I was like, I don't like that joke. I like this joke, you know, that kind of thing. We wrote it, took probably like four or five months um, through the three or four different passes. And then the the miracle of all miracles was they like, okay, we're going to shoot it. Like, this is a really good script. Um, so we, the way we decided to go about it was, I don't like how most narratives in comedy are shot because they're shot. Like they don't care that it's a film. Like it's like they're shot like this open lighting. It's just all about improv. And to me, I've always liked satire, like network or Dr. Strange love, which are really funny movies that are kind of funny and kind of not funny where it's like, they're amazing jokes, but it's very serious. What's being talked about. And kind of vicious. I just like vicious comedy. That's like 
really pointed and crazy, but looks good. I like movies. I just like, I like David Fincher movies. I want shit to look like really fuck, really fucking good, but then say jokes about dicks. Like, that's what I like. You know what I mean? I like, like the movie airplane is the funniest movie ever. But the reason why it's funny is it's shot like a drama. No one ever thinks about that. It's a drama. But they're saying the silliest shit ever. So your your brain is constantly like, "Whoa, the plane might crash," or like, you know, like they're gonna, they're all gonna die. But then they're just doing because it looks great, and it's that Leslie Nielsen is a dramatic actor, and then they have him say like poopy. You know what I mean? Like that's what comedy is to me is like really intense stakes, and then deflating the balloon over and over again. Or Peter Graves basically being a pedophile. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. It's but it, you get away with it because it's shot like a drama. You know what I mean? Like, that's just crazy to it's me so that crazy. like he's a serious, like legit actor. And I just would love to have been in the room where he was pitched. Hey, you're, you're kind of playing a pedophile, uh, but it's funny. It's so funny. Yeah. And I think that when you shoot stuff like a drama, you can get away with almost anything. Right. Because it's like, no, we really. Pat Bishop, the director of the show of corporate said basically that's kind of the joke is that you did all of this work. You put people in these incredible suits. You've spent so much money and time to light it correctly. And then you have him make a joke about his dick. Like that's the joke. Essentially is you did right. all this work just to have a pedophile joke or that kind of shit. And that to me is like the essence of comedic filmmaking. So we shot the pilot and we really made some strong choices. We hired this French DP who like has shot like world-class commercials and like doesn't shoot comedy. And I'd recommend that to everyone. If, if you ever make something like don't just do what everyone else is doing, like try to really think about like, how can I make this different? Hire people who think differently, who've made things that look differently. We made the pilot. It was really good. We worked our asses off on it. And then yeah, miraculously we got the first season and then it was like, Oh my God, I'm making i I've never really been on TV before. You know, I've got, I've never those showcases, you know, for comedy, like, Adam Devine's house party, they never let me do that, even though I felt like I was good enough. But now it's like I've gone from zero to having my own show out of fucking nowhere. It was insane. So we made a season of TV. I never slept. I was so anxious. We shot it like 10 years before um, I was number one on the call sheet. I was a PA on a Comedy Central pilot. Like I remember I was like, I was a PA on a Comedy Central pilot. And now 10 years later, I'm in the fucking show. You're number one. And it's like what life is just and thinking of the times i'd wanted to die it's like oh i'm so glad i stayed alive just to know that this could happen you know um so we made season one and then they really like season one and basically before it even aired they're like we're probably gonna want to do another season because we really like this and it's different it's shot well and it's cool and crazy and um you know comedy central has such a weird thing now where no one's watching their shit really because like because no, it, it's true i mean like i this isn't like i'm not even trashing them like oh no yeah I mean, it's no one watches it because no one has cable well yeah it's, it's like uh you know the showtime show i was on like i don't think a lot of people saw it because i would tell people hey it's on showtime and they're like fuck i don't have that yeah <laughs> and they watch it on their phone they don't have cable they have netflix they have hulu they pay for these like subscription services cable is a dying beast to a certain degree and so i'm on cable and i have a show and it's it, i think it's really good and it's reviewed really well and no one has seen it no one no one's like like my friends haven't seen it because none of my friends can afford cable so it's like this really funny sort of place to be in where comedy central likes the show and they want it to keep going but the ratings don't really justify what we're doing. So it's confusing where it's like, they have to have something on, but 
no one's really watching it, even though it is good and people do like it who see it. So it's a confusing time. We are, there's just so much content out right now, so much. you know, Netflix, Comedy Central, or I guess the two big boys. Uh, but then you've got stuff on YouTube now, Hulu, Amazon. I mean, I see comedy specials on the weirdest channels. Yeah. Logo. Really good, really good comedians, too, are like doing specials on like epics. Yeah. And you're like, what is epics? Um, you know, Showtime had a bunch. Uh, and it's just like, you don't know. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming and it's also just weird what hits because sometimes really good stuff hits, you know, sometimes it's like, yeah, that person like John Mulaney has like specials that killed on Netflix because he's such an incredible comedian. But then sort of like random people get picked up on net. like there's so many Netflix specials, but then it's like, oh, Nanette now is what we're talking about or like like there's just or Ali Wong got huge and she's so funny, but it's like that easily could have not gotten huge. You know, it's just sort of like there's super funny people on Netflix not getting huge and there's super people, super funny shows on Comedy Central or like just random networks like Netflix. American Vandal was a huge hit first year. The second season just probably was really good, but just kind of went away because the algorithm. It's a really weird time where everyone wants so much content, but is anyone watching it? I mean, that was the problem with I'm dying up here. You, you know, I mean, you look at that. I mean, Melissa Leo was an Oscar winner. Yeah, she's incredible. It's like, wow, how is this not like like Ray Donovan kills? And then I'm dying up here just never, never took it's off. It's really weird. It kind of, it's bizarre because the media, it really is who the media wants to make stars for the most part. Sometimes things go viral on YouTube and like, like Russell Peters essentially is famous because his stuff went big on the internet, you know, and it spread. Oh my God. But it's like, but also it easily couldn't have, you know what I, you know what I mean? Like he was doing stuff forever. So it's a weird time to have your own TV show and like, feel like, whoa, I fucking did it. But to be like, I don't know if I'm going to have a job in two months. And I don't know if anyone even saw this thing. It's a weird thing. Well, like how much uh, leeway do you get with comedy central? Cause I know like, you know, in the early days of roast battle, it was a wacky show. I mean, we had a rule where if Two people, two white comics were battling. They could drop a hard N word, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, Comedy Central kind of came in and <laughs> probably rightfully so. Say like, you can't really have that rule anymore. Uh, I mean, have they given you kind of like not free reign, but have they not tied your hands too much? You know what's interesting is they've been pretty good to us. I think we're rarely do we want to do something that they don't really like and and if and if there is something that we want to do that they don't like it's not necessarily because of fears for the most part i will tell you about one thing in a second that was a little weird but um it's mostly just about is this funny like do they like because i think we're just kind of weird and experimental people like we like to make jokes tons of jokes like our shows have tons of jokes and constant jokes but we're also just weirdos. We just like to make weird shit. Our show's a little weird. Um, and I think that's why it's good, but I don't know. Like a lot of Comedy Central shows are just like about farts. You know what I mean? Like they're not necessarily like going for, we're trying to like talk about how corporations are evil. So it's a little, I think sometimes they're like, will this make sense to an audience? But for the most part, they let us go nuts. I think if you prove yourselves to be competent and not fuck offs and like get shit done on time, because we ran the show the second year, they're like, if you get your work done, we're not going to bother you. So I have to say they've been pretty fair in terms of they let us do what we want because we show our work. We show how hard we're working. We have answers when they have questions. So quite rarely, like 
they wanted to sort of have a love interest for season two. And I was like, nah, fuck that. Like, we don't, I don't care about love interests. Like, that's not what I want to talk about. Every show talks about that. So we can just say no if we don't like it. Um, and we can explain why they're, they're pretty fair, like creative control. They're fair. And how fun is it? Cause I noticed while looking over, uh, the cast, it's a lot of your friends. I mean, that's the best part ever. That's the best thing ever, man. It's like, I don't think there's a much bigger joy. I mean, it's obviously a joy when you get to make your own shit, but to like give people jobs, like even to pay them like fucking 800 bucks for a day of work, like, and to to know that they're going to be appreciated and seen, um, is a joy. Like casting your friend is a fucking joy. Thank God I'm not a sociopath because I wouldn't be able to enjoy giving my friend work. Cause I think, I think it's what a lot of up and coming comedians don't understand is that one of the reasons you should always do well and try hard is that people are watching and some of the people you're working with will make it. And if they think you're funny, they might be the one that gives you a fucking recurring role on their TV show that could make that then someone else could see and then get you a full-time gig. It's like, you don't, you're, you're constantly auditioning for other people without even realizing it. The reason I did all those fucking open mics and shit shows, we've been on so many shit shows together, Hollywood hotel, like so many horror shows because people are going to see that. And one day be like, Oh man, you know, who's really funny. That guy. Right. It, it works, man. That's like, like, and like, look at the store now, you know, like, people are coming up and like starting to do really well. And like people that were like desperate for years living in studios, they're starting to finally be noticed. And if you have performed with them for years, all it takes is them go like once they get their thing, them telling a network executive, you know who else is funny? Earl. Right. That's really what it is. That's it's, it's an, it's a, it's a, it's a system built in nepotism. That's fairly libertarian. That kind of is fair. If you wait long enough, not all the time, but oh, I think sure. it can often be pretty fair. Well, I think I always tell people, uh, younger comics, be nice to everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, you should be that way anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause like my mom said, we all shit out of the same hole. Exactly. But our mouths. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, it depends what you're into, but uh, you know, like the comedy store tonight, you know, some of those open micers who couldn't get on a potluck tonight will be the next Jake Weissman. hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's like, the other thing too is like, I don't really think I'm the funniest. I just, there are people fun. There are people younger than me that like are funnier than me. And like, you gotta be smart enough to recognize that. Like, don't like, don't be so insecure that you're not, you're not willing to see who's better than you. (laughs) Like there's like younger people all the time. They're just younger. People are just you after you went through what they went through like you know i mean like they're just they're just people who are younger who maybe not as wise but they could be smarter you know they could be funnier and like i like when people are super funny i like work i want to work with them i want to help them i want to use them i i feel like uh it's fun there's so many fucking talented people that we know there's so many untalented people but there's so many fucking talented people and the other cool thing about comedy which sometimes sucks is you can hit it at 50 you really can. Hope. You can. You can. Well, I it is the one uh, business where you can make it when you're a little older. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if you're funny, you're funny. And 100%. You know, there's going to be a need for the next Kramer, uh, you know, minus the racism. Yeah. Uh, or the next office, you know, where some, some of the actors and that were older. Absolutely. Uh, or in corporate, like you need old. We have a lot of older people. You know, Lance Reddick. He's he's 60. He's close to 60 now. I mean, I love him from The Wire. Uh, he's just. And like, is it weird? Uh, 
Who do you think it's weirder for you guys to work with like a legit actor like him or him like working with a bunch of comics? I mean, comedy's probably not his foray necessarily. You know what's interesting? I think it's weirder for him because what's funny about him is like so Lance Reddick, obviously one of the best actors, so incredible from The Wire, from Fringe, from Lost. He's just like amazing. Lance and he, Reddick, and he always plays. He's fucking unreal. He's a Terminator, basically. And you meet him, and he's this soft, gentle man. <laughs> like he's he's the opposite of what he acts like. And that's sort of what that's. I, I'll rarely say this, but that was our genius move because we could see kind of how funny he could be because it's like if he is the most intense actor I've ever seen basically and if you give intense actors funny shit to say that's the best life can really be because it's like just he says things as if they are the most grave circumstances all the time he could be reading a phone book and you're like oh my god but that's why we 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 just have been such fans of him for so long and he never gets put in comedy because I think there's a lack of imagination from a lot of casting directors or executives who don't want to see people who do one thing, do another thing when, when sometimes that is the best thing ever. Like I remember seeing Albert Brooks in drive. Right. Albert Brooks is one of the funniest, most neurotic Jews ever. And he plays a fucking mad psycho uh, sociopath in drive. And it's so wonderful because you're expecting something else. And it's this incredible experience. Lance um, apparently did a lot of comedy in college uh, or, or in acting school. He went to Yale Drama School, did a lot of comedy there. But he said he kind of got typecast right away, especially after The Wire. He's so good at being intense that people were like, well, he'll be amazing if we get him. Let's just use him for this part. And for like 15 or 20 years, he's only done that. He's been wanting to do comedy forever. And I think it's weird for him because he doesn't necessarily... He's such a good actor that he doesn't really understand that what he's doing is incredible in comedy. He's a little more insecure at that than he would be at drama. He knows he's good, but he has to really trust our writing because I think he's like, is this funny what I'm doing? It's like, it's so funny, but you don't necessarily understand how funny it is because you haven't done it for so long and you don't necessarily know how funny you're being because you really haven't been in a comedy or almost your entire career, except for like he was in a a key and peel sketch but he doesn't understand like what he's doing is so brilliant so it's weirder for him because he has to trust three young white guys to like like trust us what you're doing is remarkable but you don't necessarily even get how good it is right and for us we're just like kind of pigs and shit where we're like holy shit we get to work with lance reddick yeah i mean it's, well that's it goes back to airplane where that movie worked i think if you had comic actors in airplane it probably, I mean, the Zuckers are like brilliant in, in the Abrams, but like having Lloyd Bridges, all these serious like people from disaster movies. Like, Way funnier. And like even Robocop to a degree where you had like. Oh, the best. Kurtwood Smith has a bad guy where he had only played good guys and, and Ronnie Cox was amazing as the evil boss. Casting is so much of what you do. Um, it's so much of directing, essentially. It's just casting the right person and having that vision and trusting. Like, essentially, what you should be trying to do is getting Juilliard-trained actors to talk about nonsense. Right. That's really my my advice. And I think that if you're a good enough writer... um you should trust that your words will really work if you get the best actors ever to say dumb shit. Like you should really trust that. Um, and, and that for some reason, there's something so funny about taking things so seriously 
and playing it so straight and not improving. Just like be serious and ha- and trust the words to be incredibly funny. Well, because in a corporate world, there's so many characters. Mm-hmm. You know, there's you know the receptionist, there's you know the, the main boss, or the, all the people in the cubicles. Like, there's so many ripe uh, opportunities to get someone like an Eddie Pepitone in there. Or, you know, so many great comic minds. That what's the writing process like? Do you guys all map out ideas and then go in the bunker and say this is what we each want and then? Yeah, so we hire like three to four writers um, for the season. Comics? Uh, sometimes, but mostly, you know, that's a funny thing about stand-up comedians is like, there's so many funny stand-up comedians, um, but there's also a whole world of people who don't feel the need to perform who are absolutely as brilliant and they're just writers. And they're so and, and the thing that's so amazing about them is they understand story. A lot of problems with stand-up comedians and why, like Comedy Central buys a ton of scripts from people each year, but... And they could be super funny, but they don't understand story. They just understand jokes so well. They're super funny people. They're really charismatic, um, but they don't necessarily understand how a story works. They didn't. They have just done jokes for so long, and they never studied like a screenplay essentially or how to write one. Um, let's see. We have never had. No, we've never really hired comics. We we hired the second season Langan Kingsley. She does like sketch and stuff so it's more people from like a sketch background um or just writers or just straight up writers that we've hired to write for the show we've definitely hired stand-up comedians to um to be on the show but yeah we mostly hired writers and because we were like we're stand-up comics we understand that we just we want the show i think is very written it's like a very it's like a very well-written show and i think it's we want people who think like that essentially almost funny playwrights like that's kind of what we want each episode to be is a funny play um a funny cinematic play and so we hire them matt pat and i usually go do mushrooms a few times in big bear a few times and we come up with these fucking ideas and it's like okay what do we want to talk about what's going on in our lives you know um and then we go we write it down this big google doc we come with a bunch of ideas potential episode areas we get these people to come into a room we have like about 12 to 15 weeks and then we throw these ideas at them and see if they like them Cause you kind of have to, it's basically what other writers are for is to kind of be like, yeah, that's cool. Or that's a terrible idea. You guys are fucking morons. Right. Like you have to kind of, they're your bullshit detectors a little bit. It's like, you want to try to make the kind of show that you'd want to watch and that they'd want to watch. These are smart people with great taste. And it's like, what about this idea? And they're like, nah, that's fucking dumb. And some other TV show did it. Like, you, you know, you're like, oh no, that was my one fucking idea that I came with. You hash ideas out um, and then basically you all decide on, okay, this episode idea is pretty cool. And then by scene by scene, you come up with um, what each character is doing. What are their motivations for the scene? And then you just meld it all together. Essentially, most episodes are two great ideas that somehow work together. Right. And that's that's hard to find. You know what I mean? It's not easy to do that. Like it's 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 way harder than you might think um and for it to seem seamless and like it all belongs together it's like okay what do i want to talk about i want to like there's an episode we have called trademark where i want to talk about how banksy is full of shit (laughs) and then i want to talk about how corporate like i want to talk about how corporations run the game no matter what so basically we came up with an idea it's like okay banksy because i just don't like banksy i think he's fucking annoying and i hate how people think he's like so cool and it's like okay so basically the corporation is going to hire a banksy-esque artist to make anti-corporate 
stuff right. that protesters will like. So essentially, the corporation makes money off of the protesters by pretending they're anti-corporate, you know, and uh, no one knows that the corporation is hiring Banksy to make this stuff. So then it's like, okay, so that was like based on the idea of like how protesters are kind of full of shit no matter what, and Banksy's full of shit. How does that work? And then eventually you think of the motivations for each character, and then you just struggle to put together a scene order and then write the script, and it's very painful. And <laughs> How long does each episode typically take to shoot? Mm. We have about four, four and a half shooting days. But, you know, shooting is like this compacted eight or nine week process. So we're cross-boarding. So we're on something because we don't have a lot of money for our show. Our show looks like it costs like two to three million dollars an episode. We only have at most a million, which is really not a lot of money for what we're trying to do based on union rules. So we have some some days I'm shooting eight episodes in the same day, like a scene from eight different episodes right. in the season. So I'm constantly changing costumes and all that stuff, and it's madness. But that's the only way we get to shoot this show is it's just crazy. Like, they'll leave us alone if we stay under budget, but it's absolutely insane. We should have, like, two or three more weeks to shoot it, but we don't. So... Yeah, like basically you have to almost memorize all 10 scripts, but you do that because you're writing it, you're pouring over every, you're rewriting, 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 and you're just, yeah, it's like rarely do we shoot the same episode two days in a row. You know what I mean? Sometimes because of locations you have to, but you're just like constantly shooting scene after scene after scene after scene and like going home and trying to like remember your lines for the next day and trying to get enough sleep and then waking up at five in the morning and going, it's, it's an insane process. Uh, how much is there any improv at all like there is i think the way that i look at improv is this is like you you should have the funny down on paper so where it's like definitely funny your job as a writer is to have the writing down don't leave it to the day have it down so it's definitely funny it's clear it's hilarious and that is way harder than most people think and when you get there shoot that and then if that's good give your actors a chance to do stuff. Talk to them. Like there's certain actors. We do have comedians on the show, like Adam Lustick, who plays John on the show, genius comedic actor. So it's like, he's always going to add something, but it's like, but as long as you get the thing, so I can have that in the editing room, then we do a take or two where it's like, okay, now do whatever you want and then react however you want and see what happens. And often that gets into the show, but I don't think it should be, I don't think you should be relying on improv or at least that's not our talent. We do improv and we, we are, we can do that, but it's much more important if you're making a satire, which I think our show is, to have the words on paper and then if something better happens, wonderful. But your job is to get the thing you wrote. And right. then if you have extra time, great, go nuts. See what happens. Now, do you uh, ever take anything from current events like Trump acting like a maniac uh, or like the R. Kelly documentary? Like I, I was obsessed with that this weekend. Uh, do you ever go, oh, something like that might be funny in an episode? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, the way I look at it is I don't want to make, if you're making a narrative show, like jokes are different. Like you're making a narrative show, you want it to be able to stand 20 years from now and still be funny. And I think a lot of the mistakes that are made in a lot of comedies, why they're not funny is you watch something two years later, you're like, oh, that referenced something that was happening then that I don't care about. Right. I Our show is, is written in a year before it gets on air. So you can't just write about Trump. Like, right. And so what we chose 
to do is we like our show would have been the same whether Trump or Hillary was president. And I feel like to me, we still live in an oligarchy and it's still fucking insane. So it's sort of like, I don't really care who's president. There are these things that are happening in America that I want to talk about. Right. Not like Trump is a fucking psycho, <laughs> but, but like every president is a psycho. Sure. You know what I mean? And so I don't want to be too topical because I don't think that that's going to hit as many people. And the news is so rapid now and things are so turbulent and seemingly changing every day that like to talk about one thing is kind of, I think, short sighted, especially because of how we write and how we shoot. So I think to me this year we have we have a lot of stuff about the media. So like Hampton DeVille, which is the corporation in the show buys out a media company kind of like CNN for the purpose of changing the news to make people feel fear so they'll buy more shit right so like so that to me is just about how media is fake now which is the and and every media company has their own spin no one cares about the truth because now they just need to create panic in their consumers so they'll click on the articles more so to me it's like that's just a thing that's happening now so we can talk about that. That's what's happening in America. But even 20 years from now, I think that'll probably still be happening and they could see the show and be like, oh, this is a funny satire of what goes on. And so I think to me, like my favorite movies like Network, Dr. Strangelove, the, the things still ring true. Like it's like the satire, even though it was kind of specific to that time, it's still when you watch it, you're like, that could still happen. That's kind of what's really happening. And my goal as someone who wants to make satires for a living is to create such a truth or a seeming a farcical truth that it will last forever. That's well, the goal. I mean, network was so far ahead of its, it's time. It's still, it is what is happening. 76. Now. I think it was to me. Uh, that's the thing we're trying to make is we're trying to like make like a current network. That's a little sillier, but to me, you watch network. Now you're like, this is literally what's happening. MSNBC against Fox. hundred percent. Like, or like the Symbionese liberation army, like the one there, there's like a meeting there where the network is meeting with the group of people, the rebels that essentially kidnapped Patty Hearst. Right. And they're, they're talking about like, well, my deal should include that. These are people supposedly altruistic. Um, and they like hate America and they're just trying to get a better deal as well. And I feel like that's everything that's going on now. If you're anti stuff, that's just a brand. If you're a comedian who's like really anti Trump, that's just your brand. And you and and you need things to be bad in order for you to succeed. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, if Trump was like a great guy, how unfun would that be? 100%. I think that's like we live in a capitalist state. So it's sort of like that's what's eventually going to happen is like we have an episode this year about um makeup and I, like my character tries to make male makeup a thing because to me makeup is a thing because we've taught women that they should feel bad so if you they feel bad so they buy billions of dollars of makeup if they stopped wearing makeup the economy would collapse oh, sure. <laughs> and so like there's this whole form of like male men need to be more openly insecure in order to sell them makeup to think they should look better because that's a potential billion dollar industry. And so like the whole society is now built on or like even depression medication or self-help. It's all built on this shit that people feel bad. And if they started feeling good, we'd be fucked. Oh, yeah. It's so funny to me. Those books. It's so funny to me. Tony Robbins. Yeah. And yeah. And it's just built on, oh, there's something wrong with me. I can be better. And it's like, you can't really. You just are who you are. I mean, I went to his seminar. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll give him this. I was amazed at his energy level. Sure. 
I mean, for 12 hours, he did not stop talking. Yeah, he is He is a beast. And you'd think, wow, this guy's got to be on tons of coke. Oh, yeah. Uh, and maybe he is. I don't yeah. know. Uh, but I was impressed more by that than what he was actually saying. Of course. And that's the thing. It's like, but also his industry is based on people dumber than you, you know, uh, know. more lost than you. No, I'm saying like you're you're a smart person who's who is cynical enough to see bullshit right that's what you see you're always like constantly being like you're all full of shit right so imagine someone who's not really seeing things that way and is like oh here's a man here's a very tall crow magnon looking man telling me what to do thank god and that's why he has a career he's if he if everyone wasn't weak then he would be fucked oh yeah he wants people to be weak well yeah i mean i guess it's weird like his products are gonna make you less weak which in the end hurts him i know but but also he's good at just constantly finding new reasons why you don't feel good about yourself it's funny because like theoretically he wants everyone to feel better and it's like do you really well it's like hockey fighters you you know if you don't do it there's 20 guys who will exactly so uh you know it's a weird area of like you care about these guys, but there's, you know, you don't want them to get better. Exactly. You want to give them a, just a tasty of positivity. Yeah. But by the next book. I know. To complete. It's a very weird, like how you make a living in this fucking country or maybe everywhere is just like bizarre. Like just the shit you have to do, the shit you have to manipulate, the people sometimes you have to hurt. It's like, it's so fucked up. Oh, you gotta be an LA stand up. Yeah. You gotta be an animal. Oh, I mean, some of the most famous comedians, even if they're good, they're like, some are great people, but some are really bad people. And it's just like, well, I, but I also, even if I don't like that, it's like, I see why you're doing that though. Cause it works for you. Oh yeah. I mean, I, uh, I mean, we probably know the same people, you know, <laughs> I won't mention names, but it's like, wow, how do you act like that? But I guess you're more famous than I am. So I get it. Yeah. If you, if you could, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, if you could shut off the empathy part of your brain, it's possible you'd be a way richer person. <laughs> oh, I'd be I mean? much more famous. Yeah. Like there's just things I'm not willing to do. And I'm, I'm like just speaking for me personally, I, like I'm not a great networker or yeah. schmoozer. Yeah. It's just not in my nature to be phony. I know. I know. And that's, that's the issue. And it's, it's funny too. Cause it's like what makes you theoretically a better person hurts you. And so I get why some people, either are able to not do that but i I just don't really have that i don't have much tolerance for bullshit and i don't i i kind of wish i did i just i just don't have it but you keep it real which is why i've always liked you like i mean you know you're a straight shooter there's no like what does jake think about me you know yeah well it's just sort of like i just don't to me it's like i want to give everyone a chance and i want to believe the best in people i want to give everyone a sort of like I want to be like, yeah, hey, what's up? Like, if someone's fine, I'm like, you're great. Like, I don't. But if someone is at all a piece of shit, it's sort of like, I'm, I would rather die than pretend you're a good person. I just can't, I don't have it in me. It's just like, I think it's because I just was raised Jewish and I like to not fucking trust anyone and just sort of like be like, just, I, my whole life and growing up, everyone's just constantly complaining about what's wrong. And so if someone's not treating me well, it's like, I, I'm like, fuck you. Like, I don't like, fuck you. You're causing me pain. I don't like you. I just can't, I don't know. I can't fucking deal with it. Well, I wish more people in our business would be like that. Just be straight up. You know, you know, I'm probably too straight up for my own good. Right. Uh, so I'm trying to find that happy medium of, 
it, it, it's tough because I, I, I totally agree with you. And that's why I, I, I think we do relate is like, it is almost physically impossible for us to not be honest. But what I'm trying to learn, the medium I'm trying to get to is like, sometimes I don't have to be honest if something or someone is not directly hurting me. Like if I see someone full of shit, like what I'm trying to do is like, unless they're coming after me or really hurting me, I'm trying to just like not say anything. And it's not easy for me. It's not easy for me because I feel like part of my job is to be like, you're fucking full of shit. Fuck you. You're hurting people by lying. You know what I mean? Fuck you. You don't even understand what you're doing, but I understand sometimes that brings more trouble than it's worth. (laughs) And it's like, and, and I don't, and I don't, I'm not that it's not being a fucking pussy or something. It's just like, I don't, I'm sensitive. So I don't necessarily want to bring on the struggle that I will, that will happen. Um, if I call someone out that I don't like, I mean, it's tough. Uh, you know, I, I drew inspiration from a Tom Selleck prison movie, uh, when, uh, his first day in the yard, the, the black gang steals his toothpaste. Which movie is this? It's it's a great, it's so bad it's good. It's called An Innocent Man. Okay. And I think this was his shot at, like, he had a few movies that maybe didn't do well, and this was his last, like, hey, can you carry a movie? And uh, so the black gang steals his toothpaste and, you know, his soap, and uh, the next day the Aryan Brotherhood, uh, the leader's like, hey, uh, you got to kill that guy. And he's like, I'm not going to kill someone over stealing toothpaste. He's like, you don't have to stand tall in here, but you've got to stand. And that's how I feel like as gay as that sounds, like at some point you got to stand up for yourself in this business. Yeah. I just think that like, you know, my instinct is that people are trying to hurt me. <laughs> so I think sometimes for me, it's like, I, I feel like I always stand tall. And then it's like, oh, that person wasn't trying to hurt. I didn't necessarily need to like fight them. Right. But I, my instinct was I did. Um, and I think that like, I completely agree. You got to have a backbone because you got to live with yourself. And if you don't like who you are, like, and you feel like you, you didn't, stick up for yourself. It's just sort of like, you're just going to, you're going to bury that pain somewhere. It's not going to be healthy. So I always try to be like, no, don't treat me that way or don't. But then, but then a lot of times they're like, oh, I, I was just, I I, I didn't mean to hurt you at all. You know what I mean? So I feel like I've overreacted sometimes. So I'm trying to be less reactive to things, have a backbone, not take any shit, but be less reactive and give some time to think like, okay, what actually happened there? And do I need to say something right. for the good of me, for the good of mankind, whatever. But it's hard because I feel like people want to, um, and I feel like even having a TV show, it's, it's like, I feel like people want to take me down. That might be completely incorrect. And I don't necessarily focus, like I don't necessarily see that, but my instinct is that. So I'm always like on guard, like who does, who thinks I don't deserve it? Who think right. whatever, you know? So I'm always trying to like, but it's tough. It's tough to be real and to not kind of get into scrapes a lot. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I do think that, uh, you know, you've put yourself in a position uh, where people have to be nice to you, I know. <laughs> like, which is great. I mean, Rob Schneider gave me the best advice. It's so simple, but you've done essentially what he told me, become so good that they can't deny you. You have to be undeniable. Yeah. And it's like, no, you think, well, Earl, that's not, that's pretty basic advice. But when someone successful tells it to you, you at least I tend to go, oh, yeah. Well, I noticed it like because I, I I love the store so much, but I came in um, later. I feel like I had much less of an incubation period than some 
paid regulars. And I, and I get, and I, I, I know for a fact, uh, cause, cause people high up told me they're like, yeah, you, they gave you a little, like people were like giving Adam shit for like allowing me through. And I totally get it. But then I think some people, um, like it hurt, like, oh, fuck that guy. Like he hasn't spent a decade here, whatever it was, you know, but then they saw me and they're like, okay, he's good. Like, like I want to, like people came to see me and at the store, there's a brotherhood or there's a fraternity that is pretty strong, but there's also a lot of petty bullshit in any comedy circle. (laughs) Of course. I mean, people do support each other, but people also want to take each other down. And I know for a fact, people came to see me to see that I sucked. And they were like, oh, he doesn't though. Like I like his comedy. So that, that is, that essentially is being undeniable is like, oh, I want to hate you, but I don't. And you're nice to me too. Yeah. So it's sort of like, but I felt that energy of like having to prove myself, which you should, you should have to fight through that energy. But I, I know that that's how people felt. And, and, uh, I totally even empathize with that, you know, but, um, it's tough. You have to be really fucking good to be good. Well, I think at the store specifically, you have uh, a few people up there who are store only people. Like they don't right. go to the improv or laugh factory or the ice house or Hermosa. And so when they see, uh, I guess a store outsider get past, it's like, why them and not me? Yeah. It's they like, feel insecure to a certain degree. Well, it's cause Jake's been fucking hoofing it for 10 years right. at bar shows, uh, alt rooms you know from the valley to long beach oh to, yeah to wore wherever. out several cars yeah, yeah 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 where you've been just kind of hanging out you know sucking up to the paid regulars yeah hoping adam will see you in the back smoking pot and go oh yeah i gotta pass this guy or a girl yeah and it's funny because i think that i just think there's a lot of insecurity there and I, I think that's why i try not to be like if someone's funnier than me i'm happy to fucking see it you know what i mean it's like i it's like cool like great you're funny like wow great job like i i don't it's like i'm as funny as i am i can't control being better than i am i was given whatever i was given at birth you know and so i just trying to be really good at what i do and try to do the work i don't if if i feel like i'm if i feel like i'm not advancing comedically i try to take a step back and work on it like i'm not i'm not trying to get something i don't deserve because i don't i don't i don't want to be a great comedian without knowing i'm great like it doesn't it doesn't i'd feel so fraudulent i'd do too much coke like i would feel insecure and like feel terrible like i only want to be great if i deserve it if people are like you're great like and i don't i i feel like most people don't understand that they just want to be famous and they don't even know what it means because they're so oh i want to be the most liked boy in the universe and it's like no like you gotta work at this for a long fucking time and if you're good they'll let you know and only then will it really be fun because you feel because you'll be on stage and you'll be like, no one can fucking touch me. I know what I'm doing. And that's the joy of it. But people don't see that in the first five years. They feel like or even the first 10 years. A lot of times they just feel like, fuck that guy. He doesn't, does, doesn't deserve it. <laughs> well, that's what I love about Adam is Adam, uh, you know, at the comedy store, he doesn't necessarily pass the most famous people like I think me and Candace Thompson were the first two he passed. Yeah. There's certainly many more famous yeah. than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he, I think he's one of the best things that's ever happened. Oh, I, I mean, he's amazing. It'll be a sad day when he leaves the store. He is. Uh, I mean, the store is just the best place in the universe to do comedy now. And it's because people, oh, it's just the energy is incredible. And I feel like it's all him. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's, I, I think uh, to a degree, it was Eric Anderson uh, who, uh, 
I think was one of the first guys to clue into the old uh, talent coordinators, uh, interesting accounting methods. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he got the ball rolling, but then Adam was, I mean, I don't think you can argue with one person he's passed. He's so open-minded and, and uh, he likes weird people. He likes people who aren't there. He just, he knows, he knows when someone's good and he really cares about developing them. And he's like, he's also nice. Yeah. He's a fucking nice guy. He's like, uh, it's pleasant to be around him. Like it's, it's a, it's a positive in a place that is known for its dark energy. He brings an incredible amount of positive energy and that place is bustling. And it, but it's still, I guess what I like about it to a degree is it still has that dark energy. Oh yeah. Because now everyone's trying to get in. There. It always will be dark. Um, well, yeah, it's just there's too many of us who have issues. Uh, even the successful people, hundred uh, percent, are depressed. Uh, you know, even if you're on a TV show, you have to deal with bullshit. Oh, yeah, uh, as you know. Oh, uh, yeah. Or you're, you know, trying to get a special on the air, and like you see someone who just bombed in front of you, and they're on a billboard. And they're so it's famous. Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, but the store is just. I don't know. There's just something magical about it. It's incredible. I mean, what's happening now at the store, there'll be a documentary about it in 30 years or something like that. It's just a very special time. I mean, every every fucking night is sold out. It's crazy. I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, like Tuesday nights now, the main room sold out. And, you know, six, seven years ago, you had eight people in the OR watching Sebastian. Uh-huh. Oh, it's know, an amazing time. It, the belly room. I mean, it's really, uh, it's like the bar in Star Wars. It's mm-hmm. like, Every character in the comedy universe is up there. and Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, what's next for you now that season two's in the hole? Do you start working on season three or do you do a st- little stand-up to clear your... Uh... Well, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I used to think that I could multitask really well, um, which essentially means like making things and also doing stand-up constantly. But I found that, you know, I just... I lose my mind. Like I, I, I have finally, I didn't accept this for a long time, but I do accept now you kind of need to live your life a little in order to have shit to talk about. Like that's just me. So I just spent a year and a half on the second season. I'm promoting it now. Um, you know, cause it's coming out and stuff. And I have a little bit of a break before we even hear if we get a season three, like we won't hear for a few months, I think. And then if so, we would take a few months and then write it and then shoot it. So it's, that's a whole lot of time. So I'm trying to, I just need a mental break a little bit because I just output so much shit. Right. So I'm trying to take a little break from stand-up comedy, think about it a little bit, come back to it in a few months when I'm like ready to like have energy for that. Because I don't want to just, I don't want to go on stage with old jokes and kill because that feels false to me. Right. It just feels like then it's just an ego stroke and I don't fucking need that. And my face is on a fucking billboard. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to be a fucking piece of shit. I want to like do comedy right and have shit to say. So um, I'll take a little break and then I want to write a movie because I would love to make a movie. I mean, that's if you got a TV show, you should try to make a fucking movie, you know, because that's like the dream. Um, and then in a few months, just get back to writing and doing stand up. I, I think I just, you know, you're promoting yourself and talking about yourself all the time. It's not very healthy. <laughs> and then once that dies down, like be a human again um, and just figure out what do I want to talk about next? Um, hopefully it's another season of corporate. Um but if not, you know, just doing a ton of stand up and writing a new thing and trying to get shit made. So I, I don't know. I, I, it's funny because I'm, I'm technically unemployed right now, but I have a fucking show coming out in a week. So it's like life is just weird and bizarre and it'll always be weird. But you got billboards. Bro. I know, but it's weird, though. You know but what I it's mean? It's the best. Like I drive by your billboards and I, I get happy. Like, that makes me happy to hear that. It's just so neat to see good people get good things and like... Well, I appreciate that. You know, 
knowing that you I don't know if struggle is the right word, but we're at it for a while before oh, yeah. the mainstream. Yeah. Uh, it's just fucking neat to see good things happen to good people. So. Yeah. It's funny too. Cause like, but you know, like you've been on a show and then you're like, wait, what's next? Like, but I still need a job. <laughs> like, like you need a new job and you're like, I have a show, but I'm like, I'm truly worried about the next thing. You know? Well, I think you have to be because yeah. uh, I mean, at one point I was on three shows uh but i i always in my head now maybe it's because the way my mom raised me which is she skewed toward uh, the negative side i have a similar parenting style from mine system of like in my mind i was like well shit they could all be canceled tomorrow 100 percent. uh and then what you know and i see that with some people uh involved with roast battle like they, it's a roast battle roast battle roast battle like, and then they either don't get it uh, they don't get on the show or they don't do well when they did get it and then it's like well now what well, you should have thought of that, you know, two months before your, you know, your battle or whatever. Yeah, that's what I was saying about spinning plates. It's like I, I'm always just trying to think. Okay, well, I got this thing, so now I'm aware that I can get this thing, and I'm good enough to get this thing. What do I want to do next? And I'm always just trying to think of it as a career and not take any one thing too, um, to, to make it too much of who I am. It's like I love stand up so much, but. It's just a part of what I'm doing. Right. And I and I, I, I thought when I start after a few years, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And now it's like, oh, well, it'll just be something I maybe sometimes I commit to it solely for a few years. And sometimes I take a break and come back to it. And that has to be OK. You know what I mean? It's it's a little scary sometimes, but it's like comedy is a whole world. And there's there's podcast. There's so many different ways to express yourself. And you kind of got to do it all now. I mean, yeah, you, I mean, I hate social media, but I, I just hate Me it. Me too. Hey, will you like my picture? Yeah. Uh, I got off Instagram because I was like, what, what am I doing? But you know, you have to, I, know. I mean, I guess you don't have to do anything, but like, you know, any meeting I take, the very few that I do take, uh, the first question is how many followers do you have? It's, you know, uh, uh, but it's like, what's it matter? I'm funny. Like, I know. I know. But like that, you can't bring someone in. Oh, Earl's or Jake is f funny. Oh, okay, great. Uh, how many Instagram followers? I know. Do I, have? I know. You know, it's just like urgh. I would be off all social media if I didn't have a podcast. Me too. Or I was off Twitter for like four months, and I I just got back on the last few weeks simply just because I want people to know the show's coming yeah. out. Um, but you know, by March when the show's off air, I, I'm gonna go dormant again for a while. Um, which is maybe a mistake, but I just. I hate people so much. I love it. And I, and I, you know, I'm just vicious on there. And so are you. I mean, you're similarly vicious, even more so. And I, I love it. But I, I need to like, I start hating people so much that I can't think of a single person. I'm like, everyone is the worst person alive. So I need to get off for a while to remember that most people are awful, but some are good. I mean, I just, uh, you know, it's just hard for me to bite my tongue. You know, when I see all the bullshit, I see, uh, you know, and, and, I, I love it though, Earl. Like I, I, your posts are so crazy and it's so funny because what I like about it is it's so pointed, but it's so over the top and how you're presenting it that like, it almost seems like a parody. I mean, it is, but it isn't like, I know it isn't, you know, I had like three comedy central execs call me and like, Hey, can we talk? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't take back one word I said, but like maybe uh, I could have phrased it differently. Well, that's that's exactly how I am. Is like I, I'm in the same boat as you, where it's like, oh man, the the bullshit that I see, my bullshit detector is very good, 
and the what I see, I could eviscerate people, but then it's like, but then I have to deal with that. Yeah, I mean, you got to be, uh, you know, you're just a small part of the machine, you know, when you're at my level. So you got to, uh, you know, play the game a little more, which I, you know, have struggled with at times. I've often said that success means success means you are so successful and have so many successful friends that you can't be honest about all the horrible shit your friends are in. Like you can't like, like I have friends now who are on terrible TV shows and they ask you to promote it and which is totally reasonable. You know, it's, you have to help each other, but it's like, Oh, I'm getting successful because I have to say, watch this terrible show. That's what success is a lot of times. Well, it's just, yeah, uh, you know, I've had certain guests on this podcast. Uh, I don't want to mention names, that, but I knew it would do well because they have a bazillion followers on Instagram. Right. And one, uh, not whatever, post on Instagram will get an extra few thousand views. I know. Uh, you know, and, and some of my favorite episodes were the least listened to because it was like, that's very that's i totally relate to that like eric gruber who i know yeah. uh eric he moved to amsterdam <laughs> i honestly didn't know that i haven't seen him in a while i didn't i hadn't <laughs> talked to him about it he's like one of my favorite people on earth very much like you he's just funny keeps it real he has no social media so the episode maybe didn't do the best but i would rather do that than have like someone who has a million followers on twitter right who's just you know i sold out exactly yeah, it's 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 an interesting human experience to attempt to keep it real and keep it successful. It's a very interesting battle. And it's like it's it's really hard. There's everyone is so much of adulthood is people trying to get you to lie. Don't tell the truth. Don't tell the truth. That hurts too much. Don't do it. And you're you you have to battle to keep it real, but also stay with a house. Yeah, now you gotta pay for your house. But even for you, it's probably a hundred times worse than me because, like, you have a show now. You know, you got to, like, you know, in this day and age of, you know, one wrong tweet or, uh, you know, one wrong uh, remark could could get your show canceled. Absolutely, man. I mean, last year, season one, the, there's this, like, weird Catholic blog called, like, the Catholic League that came after me. <laughs> Because I'm like a Jew who's like on, on on TV. I'm always like, there's no God. Fuck you. You're all dumb. So they started blogging about our show. So I just started posting the articles and saying crazier and crazier shit. Like Christ sucked his own dick. Like that was my thing. And then they wrote a whole article about <laughs> Jewish comedian says that Christ sucked his own dick. And I, you, you got to call Comedy Central and tell them they're awful and they hate Christ. And it's like, first of all, Christ sucking his own dick is not an insult. That's just saying he's flexible. And of course he could suck his own dick. He can do anything. So it's sort of like you get into the, but then it's like, now there's like 10 articles on the Catholic league that are talking about how I hate Christianity and Catholicism and Jesus Christ when I'm just like having a good time. Right. But it's, and it was this whole fucking thing. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting experience attempting to be funny and real and transgressive while not having to deal with bullshit. Yeah, because I mean, Comedy Central is owned by Viacom, and exactly like you, you, they've got sponsors, and and they are paying you. Yeah, like, and I need that money. So, uh, you know, it's such a uh, so many balls to juggle. You know, to stay true to yourself, which you've always done. I'm trying, yeah. But now you got to deal with you know the corporate more machine. More bullshit. Oh yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's frustrating, but it's also like, oh, this is what. This is part of the reason entertainment is so hard to be successful in because you you have a point of view, you care about the truth, you care about being funny and and cool kind of and 
cool in a, in, in a, in a way that is honest. And everyone's like, yeah, but <laughs> unless you make us a ton of money doing that, you're going to make us no money doing that. You know what I right. mean? Because we'll get sued. So it's like, it's very complicated. I, I totally understand now why a lot of hacks get famous. Like, I totally get it. I don't even fucking blame them. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I get what you're doing. You're just, you're just trying to make money, but we don't have those kind of brains and we can't do that. I mean, I, I've tried to uh, varying degrees to what I call palm. Uh, you know, I just can. It's yeah. just, it, it's, that means I don't make it fully. And who knows what making it is? Yeah, what does it even fucking mean? I, I don't know it's what it means. It's paying rent, I think. Uh, is it having a million followers on Instagram? Is it having a show on Comedy Central? Is it having a podcast? I mean, everyone has a podcast, but like, I'm happy with where I'm at. So. Yeah, and also it's like, I think it's just like paying the rent and like having a, as good a time as possible. I really think that's what making it is. I mean, I just want to work with people I love. Yeah. Which is what I know you love about corporate is like, yeah, yeah I'm sure the hours are crazy, but you're working with, you know, best selling, Eddie Pepitone. 100%. Like that's, that's not work. No, no, I agree. I agree. If work has to exist, that's not work. That's the best version of work ever. All right, now comes the part where we have to do what we've just talked about hate doing, but where can people find you online to find out all the um, info on corporate? Well, I appreciate that. Um, the main thing I care about is just watching corporate. If you wouldn't mind watching corporate, if you're listening or watching, um, it's a very good show. I promise. I'm confident in it. It's not bullshit. Um, you can watch it on Comedy Central starting January 15th at 10.30 p.m., it's also online at cc.com. You can watch the first season for free. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Weissman Jake, but you don't have to follow me there. You know, But do, do, because... I think I try to do a good thing. And you're not on Instagram anymore. No, sir. I love it. I love it. Facebook, you don't even bother. No, not I a Facebook. I love it. I yeah. love it. Uh, I'm begging you guys to watch a corporate. Uh, you know, Comedy Central's been very good to me. They do give a lot of people shots. Uh, I certainly owe them everything. And uh, Jake is truly, I say this to varying degrees in this podcast, he is one of the good ones in comedy. And uh, any shows you have coming up, like stand-up shows? or I'm taking a little, uh, probably another month off. So no, just, just it's all about the TV show right now, and then I'll get back to it. But I'll be at the store at some point at, at like 12.30 a.m. <laughs> you know, I love those 12. I love them. They're the best. Because I think for you, it'd be like in, in like Eleanor, Kerrigan, and uh, some of the more uh, aggressive, comp Brian Holtzman. 100%. Uh, yeah those later spots you can really experiment yeah and we've 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 been on around the same time at those later spots and that's to me what i want out of the store you know what i mean it's like yeah just be yourself and be raw and be insane and bomb and sometimes do well but honestly just be fucking weird and raw oh i bombed in the or the other night like nobody's business yeah. Uh, oh yeah but I, I find the or to be the toughest room i've ever played in. it's super hard because it's like one, the lineups are so good that you're you're always following like killers. Yeah, you're you're following a lineup of the most successful comedians in the world, basically, and then it's like you. Yeah, and it's like midnight, and everyone's drunk, and their coke is worn off, and it's like, okay, here's my joke. <laughs> like, yeah. they don't they don't want to like you. Okay, we've seen Rogan, Joey Diaz, Mark Maron, uh, you know, Saratiana, Fahim Anwar, Fahim, like, yeah, uh, Santino, like Dalia, yeah. Uh, who are you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm the guy who's going to do a rat joke right yeah. now. Yeah. So suck on that. Uh, Jake Wiseman is the best. Please watch Corporate on Comedy Central and uh, in about a month. Go to the Comedy Store 
and uh, we might be back to back uh, 12.30 in the OR. But uh, that's the way we like it. Jake is one of the good ones. Thank you for doing this. Thanks dude. for having me, buddy.